Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Destroy Before Listening, which is a conversation between myself, Pete Byrne and Dave Cochran. That's probably a name you may not be familiar with, but Dave, who is based in Birmingham, has been all over many different projects as a bass player since the mid-1980s. He began briefly in the band Anorexia with Mick Harris of Napalm Death and Scorn, before spending time playing in Head of David up until leaving in 1989. After that group, he was involved in the formation of Sweet Tooth with Justin Broderick of Godflesh and Yezu, etc., and released an obscure mini-album on Earache Records in 1990. This three-piece group dissolved into the avant-industrial jazz band God, headed by Kevin Martin of The Bug. This band pared down into the more dub-orientated ice and techno animal, which he contributed to over the mid-90s. Dave also helped out in the very early incarnation of Kevin Martin's The Bug. In the 2000s, however, he took a break from actively being in any groups, but he was a touring bass player in Yezu, which then paved the way for Grey Machine with Justin Broderick and Aaron Turner of Isis and Hydrahead Records. During this time, he'd also formed Transitional before playing in the band Terminal Cheesecake, which he has done so for the past 10 years now. Dave is an all-around great bloke and very funny, as you will hear. This show is free, but if you want to support, there are some cool slip mats for sale. The link is in the show notes. Please also share, subscribe or review if possible to help crack through the algorithms. You can also follow on Instagram at Destroy Before Listening. Thanks. Birmingham, like the black country, the kind of, the thing I was going to bring up firstly was the, um, you know, this is where like Black Sabbath are from. Right. And the kind of industrial background of the city and the atmosphere and stuff, which kind of, it it does impact on the music and the stuff that comes out of the city. Yeah, yeah, definitely speaking from my own point of view, yeah. I mean, I I know it from sort of working in printing factories, uh, the kind of rhythms that would fill my head throughout the day. You know, you get folding machines, printing machines, guillotines all going at the same time. You end up with these sort of like um, backwards beat heart rhythms and, uh, you know, sort of like kit rhythms, but with everything switched around. So the hi-hats on the bass drum and that kind of thing. The sheer relentlessness of it more than yeah. anything else. But yeah, and the fact that these rhythms are kind of twisted and uh, sort of in, in, inhuman rhythms for sure. Yeah, it's, it's not something you can sort of imagine people dancing to. So when you do go to pick up an instrument or you yeah. go to pick up the bass, there's automatically kind of uh, like you just kind of gravitate towards a more of a percussive. Oh, I do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, the thing is, I mean, when I first started playing bass, when I joined Head of David, I didn't even have a bass and I got an amp just before, <laughs> just before uh, we did the gigs in the autumn that year, in the year yeah. after. So yeah, I, I, I was just used to playing acoustically so I'd have to hit it really hard and I, I like the feel of it so that kind of stuff. So what age or what like what uh, age were you when you started playing well, the bass? Playing the bass well I, I tried to play the guitar before that from about the age of 15 and I, I just wasn't getting into it you know I didn't the strings were too close together it just didn't feel right with me but then um yeah, as I was going to the studio Mickey Harris used to go to the same studio uh, Napalm drummer, and um, this is before he was in Napalm. He was in a band called Anorexia at the time, and uh, I think I'd just been 
playing around on someone's bass and, and Mick says, oh, Alan Rags, you're looking for bass. I went along, did that. And yeah, I found it it's just more, much more my, had a much better, I felt much more natural with it. So that would have been like summer 85. So are you on any of the anorexia recordings? Not on any of that you'd have heard of, no. I mean, when, when the band first started, it was kind of like, it was like Muppet Punk, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like <laughs> What's this, sorry, what, Muppet Punk? Muppet Punk, you know, it's, it's like kind of like, <laughs> no, no, I, I no disrespect to the other guys. We're all as bad as each other. Like, I've, never, but, I've never heard that one before. Ah, but all the songs are sort of like, all that sniffing blue, eating bogeys and cocking the queen, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's that sort of thing. I mean, they did sort of um, develop into a kind of much more serious cause. I think, uh, yeah, they the kind of evolved with ALF and that sort of thing. Um, but, but yeah, big big vegetarian guys. They they were. But yeah, but when 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 I was in the band, I'm not saying that was my influence. But <laughs> when I was in the band, it was it was pretty slapstick. But I mean, Mickey was still amazing. He was, he was still playing like he, like he, like he'd have heard him on the Napalm record. It's like, God, man, just being in the same room as him was insane. And I was sitting on a sitting on a washing machine full of bricks, man. That's how I describe it. Yeah, <laughs> you just feel this wave coming off him, and like, yeah, and with him being such an energetic guy, and it's just day to day conversations as well. Like, it really comes to surprise, but uh, so I guess at that stage you could see him there. Uh like destined for doing something that was bigger than anorexia. I don't know. I don't know if I did. I don't know if any of us did. I don't know if it was even yeah. on our minds. Like, you know, like, I, I, I didn't see this stuff going anywhere, honestly. Yeah. When it went first started off, it's like, head of day, if you told me now, I'd been talking about it in sort of 36 years, somewhere however long it is. Then, oh, yeah, yeah I'd have been skeptical. Yeah, for sure. Man. I'd, yeah, it, it came as a surprise. The whole napalm death thing. Taken off the mermaid, you know. I mean, see, we got the mermaid, and Napalm Death was sort of supporting pretty much every gig. They were kind of like the house band at the time. Yeah. And that, no, if, if I would never have thought that that band would have uh, not, they were great, they were brilliant, but I would not have thought it would have taken off like it did. Um, yeah, thank God it did. Moving back to the base, your kind of inspirations, or like, you know, when, you, when you're growing up and you're starting. Oh right, play, like the bass or something, because you've you've got the it's the Rickenbacker, or it turns out it was the Rickenbacker like copy that you had. Oh, the John John Birch, yeah, yeah. John, yeah. Oh, John John Birch used to sort of um, it's a similar story with the Lane Eclipse, which I also had a lot of. I'm talking about Lane Eclipse, like uh, there's this shop in Birmingham called Musical Exchanges, right, and that's where we used to get all that gear. It was, it was kind of like you know. It's like going to a hardware store where it's all just stacked up on shelves. <clears throat> it wasn't like a music shop. <laughs> uh, you'd go in there and they'd have Lane Eclipse propping the door open. The guy yeah. who, who ran the place had his ashtray and his cup of tea on top of a Lane Eclipse. They were just <laughs> they're that prevalent. <laughs> and the, the John Birch basically got cost cool. like, I think, 90 quid. You know, it's, yeah. it's just like, it's at that time because all this stuff was basically made for bands like Black Sabbath. And uh, I just weren't that fashionable at the time. Looking sort of 85, 86, the sort of thing records they're putting out around that time that I can remember was sort of like Born Again, probably. Uh, I mean, Head of David, we loved them. There's so much of Born Again on the Dust Bowl today. <laughs> 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 I remember when uh, Blast First introduced us to uh, Steve Jewell at Kerrang. 
And I think they, I think they wanted us to play up and be bratish or something. But we're like, oh man, you did the cover for Born again. Oh, we love the guy, man. He came around Justin, just spent the day with him, like. Uh, good times, man. But yeah, I think at that time, yeah, you could pick up a you could pick up a Laney clip for sort of thirty five, forty pounds, something Fuck like that. Hell. Yeah, and yeah. just take your pick from what we got lying on the floor. That's one of them sort of things. Uh, the John Birch bass again, like yeah, I think it was ninety ninety five pound. It cost, and I wish I still had that. When did you mistakenly kind of get rid of it, or I, I don't know. It happened sometimes in the sometime in the nineties. Well, my memory, yeah, it, it's probably got left at a gig or at someone's house. I lost quite a lot of amps in the nineties. I think one of them got lent to I better not name them, a Japanese band, like and a, and it just came back in bits or something. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like ah. That's a shame. Yeah, but... Um, but still, I don't know. It's a shame, I suppose, but... So do you got, a, like, an actual rigging back or a bit a couple of years later then, I guess? Uh, 2006, I got that. It's a, it's a lovely one as well. Really, really nice guitar. But, uh, I bought it off a friend, and, uh, yeah, it a very decent price as well. Uh, and it's one. It's like with it being a rigging back, it's kind of... I wouldn't take it on a terminal cheesecake to put it like that. They're kind of a little bit delicate. Well, bass-wise, who were the people you were listening to? Well, you know, Tracy, those influences? Tracy Pugh, definitely. Uh, the first yeah. one would have been J.J. Burnell, Stranglers, uh, specifically oh, okay, yeah. the Black and White album. That's the first album I bought. So. Yeah, J.J. Burnell above and above all else. Uh, Jar Wobble, Gay Advert from the Adverts. I really like the Adverts. Like they had the song No Time To Be 21. It's a very heavy bass, and she had this real, this real doomy, dark sound. Who else? Youth, Killing Joke, definitely. Shen from The Very Things, Cravats, yeah, massive, massive fan. And Steve Hanley from The Fall, all those sort of bass players, really. And those were kind of, I guess, an influence from then on, really, through yeah, Eddie yeah. David and all through the... Well, I think, yeah, I think... For me, like I started out, you know, I didn't know any music that was released before 1977, really. The first band, but yeah, I mean, my uncle, my uncle bought me a Sex Pistols record when I was 10 years old, I think, just, just to kind of warm my parents up, I think. But I really, really got into it. And uh, I didn't, I weren't into the Pistols that much, really. That kind of reminded me of the sort of stuff my uncle would listen to anyway, like the Who and who I weren't really that keen on then. Man, because of the vocals, but um, yeah, after that, it was things like the strangle. Once I heard the stranglers, yeah, and Killing Joke came along with Public Image, Susie and the Banshees, and yeah, that that's I was set then, yeah, later on the fall. Or when did you first become aware of like industrial being a kind of a a genre or or term that people would be? uh... I don't know, it's it's hard to tell really. I suppose first record I heard that to my ears sound industrial was probably something like Crass. Like a reality asylum and shave women. I wasn't aware of stuff like Robin Gristle at that time. That came much later. So I'd, I'd heard Psychic TV before Robin Gristle. And um, so, yeah, it was probably stuff like Crass. Yeah. I, I, are you aware of this stuff? Crass? Yeah. No, I'd never thought of I'd never thought of them. No, no. I mean, you wouldn't. Well, no. I mean, and I, and I don't fit into that scene at all. But as far as the sounds go, like some of the, yeah, like reality, the track reality. Asylum, yeah, on, on the single version anyway. Yeah, that was a, uh, you know, when I heard sort of Throbbing Gristle and things like that, I'd, I'd recall back to that sort of, that crass single. 
and the stuff they were doing, you know, some of the album tracks on um, Stations to Crash. Penis Envy was my favourite album. And then, I mean, there's great tracks on that. It's sort of like uh, predate kind of some of the things the Swans were doing. There's a track called Half Life, and the stuff that's reminiscent of that that predates it a couple of years on Penis Envy by Crass. And I think that's that's when I first sort of became aware of that sort of sound and that idea. And there's, you know, bits of Killing Joke, although they're always, you know, they're always in a rock format in the songs. Yeah. But uh, still the sounds they were using, particularly on that first album, were great in synth sounds. So great in two notes, synth drums, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that w- it would have come from there. And even the weird Stranglers B-sides or anything. What about um, bands like uh, Big Black? Big Black, I'm, again, we're doing really... First time I heard Big Black was um, it's after I joined Head of David and we was talking to um, Paul Smith, who was talking to Big Black at the same time. So, um, he had a copy of Atomizer on him. And they, I think it's sort of like he was in the offices in Glass first and he put it on. I really liked it and he said I could have it. <laughs> that, that's the first time I heard Big Black. So yeah, about late '85, and yeah, I mean, facing Big Black, I absolutely love Dave Riley. Yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, we did a few gigs with Big Black. And, uh, they were all really, they were all really killer guys. Really nice fellas. I mean, uh, Albini had a habit of topping up our fee if he thought we weren't being paid enough for the support. But yeah, really salt the earth sort of like. Yeah, my memory. I guess like. Uh... Fetus is the other one I was thinking. Oh, yeah, Fe- Fetus was something... I think I got into that through the sort of goth side of things, actually. I think, um, I, think I had a girlfriend who was really into sort of soft cell, Mark Ullman. And, uh, yeah, there's a record she had that... Uh, I think I'd seen the posters around town as well. Like, you've got Fetus on your breath. And, you know, at that age, I thought, whoa, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, some bloke sort of crucified with a pig's head. Uh, yeah, I thought oh, it's not my sort of thing, but I never really checked them out until I heard. Um, I think a record he'd done with Mark Coleman that I really liked, and then yeah, uh, what's the album around that time? Hole, I think. Hole yeah, was yeah. the first time one I got in about '84. Yeah, I really liked his stuff and um, Wise Blood as well. Uh, I haven't really kept up with a lot of his stuff recently, but uh, yeah, I think a uh, Steroid Maximus was really good. I remember enjoying. It. Because I guess that's like a lot of the bands that influenced kind of your, like the Birmingham scene, yeah. wasn't it? I suppose, yeah, like I th- the- yeah, there's a lot of punk. I think uh, The Mermaid really was sort of like, yeah, punk with bits of metal coming into it. Like um, I, I, Amoebics, I remember being a real pivotal band because that, that was the sort of band that could unite everyone. You know, the Mermaid would be full to the Amoebics as everyone loved the Amoebics there. I think they were kind of a big, sort of important crossover band for that. So, um, yeah, I, like I say, I'm, as far from my point of view, I only ever listened to punk. And, you know, I had sort of maybe two metal records, Motorhead and ACDC, yeah. the metal records I had until about. In 1986, <laughs> right? You know, and that's when people were saying, Oh, you've got to come and check Metallica out. I went to see them, and yeah, it's weird, man. It's weird going to a metal gig, coming from punk gigs, where I suppose there's a punk uniform, but there was really a metal uniform, you know. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been going to crass gigs, things like that, where it's all kind of 
you know, it's all about positivity and that. And then you go to Metal Gig and the creeping death comes on, the whole audience is on their feet just screaming, die, die, die. <laughs> it freaked me out at first. It really did. I thought, oh, my God, what's going on with this cult, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, after that, I sort of, uh, yeah, I sort of developed an appreciation for it, really. Yeah, and the, lo- the local bands I'd see, like, like say, Napalm Death, Bolt Thriller, kind of thing, yeah. Kind of like the people you'd be running into at these gigs, I suppose there's a lot of, like, uh, same people at the same gigs, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, Mermaid, yeah, I met a hell of a lot of people through that. Um, so, like, um, there's Mick Harris, obviously, and... Yeah, Mickey, just... Just, Mickey lived really close to me, so I, I sort of knew him from seeing him on the bus. And, uh, yeah, he was kind of like a... Yeah, I, I thought he was a bit of an odd guy at first because he was kind of like a rockabilly, but he'd have like a, an Einstein descending Noy Bound shirt on or something like that. And, uh, and he was, you know, quite an animated guy as well, very, very, very full of energy. Yeah. And we, we became mates and uh, started going to gigs. We used to go and see membranes and tools you can trust. I met through Mickey, I'd kind of met Justin, and then through Justin, I met Nick Bullen. And yeah, those, those are the sort of three guys who I think were or catalyst for the scene in them days. Yeah, like Justin Broderick. Mm. Uh, was this about the same time? Well, yeah, kind of how you were getting together because he's in Head of David as well, which you... Well, he, was, he wasn't he was in Head of David. At first. He wasn't. He joined after me. I think what had happened was um, right. Justin was playing in Napalm Death and he also had his band Fuller Because which is himself, Paul Neville and Benny from God Bless You. And, uh, yeah, I think I've met, met Justin through Mick. And, yeah, then I joined Head of David. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, after about a year, because, like, we were starting to get gigs with Head of David, but Sharp, the drummer, he was kind of, like, married. He had kids. And uh, he was kind of thinking, oh, man, well, I can't be sort of going on tour doing that sort of thing. So he ended up sort of, like, Saying, I can't, I can't really do it. You're gonna get another drummer. Kind of sad, but Justin was a really good mate, so uh, got him in the band. And yeah, his Justin's rhythmic ideas are just superb. They just took it in a totally different direction. He's, if Justin's just one of the guys. He can just pull stuff out. Yeah, really good guy to sort of fire off. Yeah, I met him in an anorexia rehearsal. Actually, yeah, oh, he was oh. rehearsing in the next room, and uh, yeah, he walked in. So it's, it's Big tall guy with a floppy fringe. And this is Justin. Hello, mate. <laughs> the head of David things of after he would have left Napalm Death. Uh, yeah, I mean, head head of David. We did. We were sort of. I think we sort of all through '86. It was that first. Well, the, the lineup that you know from the record. It's myself, Sharp, Stephen, and Eric. And then, uh, yeah, Justin sort of joined right at the end of 86, just before we did the, uh, the uh, gigs in Germany and Holland. We did a little tour over there with uh, Scratch Acid and World Domination. Yeah. Oh, two, you played two, with Scratch Acid, did you? Oh, two fine bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, didn't know. Yeah, man. Still a little bit in touch with um, Brett as well, guitarist. Met him on a Yezu tour as well in late 2000s and that. Got Ray Washam as well in Scratch Acid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking sick. <laughs> did he have, like, the two snares? He did, yeah. He had the 45-degree uh, yeah. snare with the no snare off. 
Yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of standing around that, like you're standing around the firework display, you know. <laughs> 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 two snare drums or... yeah because yeah. I was I was always wondering uh, you know when you hear the rape man the records I was like, yeah that's like that's how the fucking how the hell is he doing that how's he right. doing, you know and yeah then you're like it, when it's two snares you're like all oh, right that's who he's doing it so mm. I've only seen Damon Che from uh, Don Cavallaro he, he has oh, two right, snares okay. but he has the one to his right side oh, so he right. uses it like as you would a floor tom wow that's <laughs> quite strange. Well, there's still nothing on an, uh, Alex Van Halen, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good effort, nonetheless. <laughs> Talking about Justin Broderick, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. And um, you're right, Nick Bullen's the other guy as well. Isn't yeah, it? that's so, right. Yeah, Nick. So, yeah. So, what was the kind of meeting him and then seeing what he did, or like kind of? Uh, I met. met Nick in Virgin Records when he was flipping through the reggae section, the dub section. Yeah, okay. and he was with Justin. That's the first time I met him. These these people who you kind of were just kind of running into, or you know who who went on to do or who you've gone on to do stuff with for like a number of years now, and uh, like the kind of the early musical right. Sort of I mean, yeah, I mean alliances or whatever. With, I, with I suppose back then, like yeah. Uh, Ed and David, we were quite insular, to be honest. I mean, even even from kind of um, the Birmingham perspective, the, the band coming from Dudley, just outside Birmingham. Yeah, that yeah, the head of David guys, you wouldn't see him in Birmingham very often, apart from myself and Justin, and we were kind of kind of lived there. So uh, once we sort of met the sort of London guys like Kevin Martin. <clears throat> Terminal Cheesecake guys who I first met at a gig with the, the prong bolt flower thrower ahead of David and Terminal Cheesecake. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like a... It's, I don't know where it came from because you look at the bands that sort of came before us. If you, if you did other bands, you know, you were in a band or you weren't in a band, you know what I mean? You didn't get sort of people who were doing lots of things. Whereas with this scene, I don't know whether it was maybe because it's not to do with the crust you see and all night or whatever, but we seem to get a lot of people doing a lot of different bands. And I think that could have been done something down to industrial stuff as well, because uh, Justin comes from a more industrial background than me. And uh, he was he was doing a lot of bands at that time. But yeah, I mean when I was in Head of David, the idea of being in the same band at the same time just seemed like it well, seemed like the thing to do. But yeah, as soon as I sort of fell in more with the the God guys and the Cheesecake guys, it's like, yeah, that opened things up a bit and sort of uh, had to get a little less tribal and a bit more open-minded about it. You kind of do Head of David for three, four years and then you what was leave. It's 85 to 89, four years. Right. And uh, yeah, did Sweet Tooth. But, um, that was uh, that was just decided when me and Justin met him at Pogba one, one time. It, it, He'd departed from Head of David about six, seven months before I did. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, he'd, he'd already started God Flesh Up. And, uh, yeah, I think it was sort of like within Head of David, you know, there was kind of, we weren't all really on the same page musically of what we wanted to do with it. I definitely wanted to go down sort of more intense route and sort of push it out. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think me and Justin met up in a pub about 89 and I think it was him who suggested we do something. 
they knew Scott Keel. Uh, and yeah, we just met up. We clicked immediately and came together really quick. I mean, I remember like, you know, those first five songs we put together in about three hours and we had enough to record them, so we just went in and recorded it. I know you'd mentioned that it was Scott Kill's background was more like jazz. Yeah, jazz. I mean, he's, he's a big Bonham fan. He's really into Led Zeppelin, but, uh, you know, if, if you sat him in front of a kit and you just started playing, it'd be sort of you know, more along the lines of someone like um, Ronald Shannon Jackson. And, and Scott could play like that, you know, he was... No doubt still is like, like very, very talented drummer. And you know, he had the chops, he had the practice. Yeah, you could you could put him with anyone really. Cause he's from Slab as well, is that Slab, yeah, or Slabber. Yeah, Slabber a band that can't be underestimated for their uh, influence. So this sort of scene, I suppose, yeah. like sort of picks up maybe like eighty seven, eighty eight and then into Yeah. You know, like, to sort of lays the kind of thing for the, the, the early 90s, the way that just kind of seemed to, like, really explode in terms of, like, you know, the creative output, you know, from people like uh, Kevin Martin and uh, right. Justin Broderick. I mean, there's, you've got, like, Slab. There's, like, Loop as well. Loop, yeah, yeah, Loop is right. And, like, Godflesh and mm. Terminal Cheesecake and stuff as well, so. Yeah, it's fun hanging around with Robert from Loop. <laughs> He's a funny guy. <laughs> I think it was at a Neubauten gig once and we saw someone in, do you remember that TV show, El Dorado? I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, someone yeah. from El Dorado actually at the gig and Robert just shouts across the whole bar, like, Oi, can't El Dorado. <laughs> 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 uh, he's a funny guy, man. The thing is, you, you, go, you go to the pub with Robert and he just gets mobbed. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you can't really take him anywhere at that time because yeah we actually did um straight after loop finished me and scott did a, a few sessions with him with robert and scott from loop and i think yeah we recorded little bits but it didn't really sort of happen it was kind of um i think around that time robert went on to do what what was main basically what became main so whereas me and Lou. Me and Scott, sorry, were really, really rhythmic in what we were doing there. He was kind of getting more into sort of drone guitar. So it didn't really sort of musically click, but it's good fun to do. To Sweet Tooth, again, is the, mm. um, you know, so that comes together pretty quickly. And like how, because it's like Eric does the yeah. white underbelly, doesn't Well, we, had, we originally sort of, it was a guy who worked at Eric called uh, Martin Nesbitt, who had his label called Staindrop. And we were originally going through them, but then I think there's some internal politics in Earache that Earache weren't happy with Martin having his own label. So they picked up the distribution, but I don't know. Yeah, we ended up on Earache and that. Uh, yes, not something Scott was happy about. He wasn't, wasn't a big grindcore fan, but uh, that didn't bother me. You know, Martin was a great guy anyway. To be honest, that's probably like the only early earache, you know, out of the kind of earache back catalogue thing they have they haven't, you know, exploited to death at this point. No, nah, I mean, it's hard to know what they could do with it either. I mean, definitely I mean I wouldn't support them if they tried to do anything with it. <laughs> so, you know, as far as having people on board to try and figure it up, now nah, I'm happy with it being what it is, to be honest. 
you can yeah. find that record out there. Oh, some some records, yeah, they they need reissuing, but oh, that 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 record, I'm, I'm happy with the mix, I'm happy with the mastering, I'm happy with the pressing, I wouldn't want to do anything with it. It's just normally, I mean, the way that uh, Eric uh, works as a label and stuff, it's they're just like mercenary, really. It's a business, yeah. yeah, I guess, yeah. They don't a lot of the stuff. They're just like ah, oh, it's record store day or whatever it is, or just gouge people by putting this on like. Another coloured vinyl, a different colour. Yeah, I know, but you know, you don't have you don't have to buy that stuff, man. People need to tell themselves this. Oh, this is just, it. I mean, just don't do it, man. This is it. I mean, <laughs> did you did you have many thoughts as to the artwork, or was it just? Uh... <clears throat> yeah, I did the cover for that. Yeah, that, right. there's there's a theme running through the sweets with stuff. Anyway, it's all going to be animals above humans in the food chain. When it got to the third record, it never produced. It was actually going to be a virus. But, uh, yeah, that never happened. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> you, you basically become kind of like the, the God band or rhythm section or whatever. Well, God, God, God are already going. God have been going since about 87. They're, they're on a really, really early, um, well, about 87. Mark Smith from the fall had a... a uh, he had a label that I think was called Cog Sinister or something like that. Okay. And they had a compilation out and there's one got track on it. So they, they were going then. It was a slightly, it's a more jazzy, more sax based thing, for sure. Kind of quite fallish and beef artish in a way. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, then I saw God the first time, it would be about 88. It's, it's about a nine piece then. There's, there's, there's more guitar based. There's a guy called uh, Sean Rogan from your part of the world. The guitar, okay. Um, there's yeah, like I say, it's two guitars, bass, and uh, I think yeah, Kevin had taken that about as far as he'd wanted it to go with the heavy guitar stuff and decided he wanted to make it sort of more rhythmic based and have some different instruments in there. So, uh, so yeah, when he, he asked me if I'd care to come down and do a rehearsal with him, do a gig with him, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. So, I stuck around and um. But yeah, I suppose that would have been right around the time that Sweet Tooth was winding up, really. Scott was already in God, so it was just a case the case of, well, Cameron playing with Scott, that's brilliant. And it's through that I, that I sort of really met and got to know Russell from Terminal Cheesecake. Uh, Gary in God, the, the bass player in God. And um, yeah, so it, yeah, but God, God was kind of, had been going since then in various forms. Yeah, I just joined what was there and what was uh, evolving at the time. So th- this is like 1990, 91? Yeah, yeah, 91. 91, 91 okay. Yeah, yeah, that's when the first, that's the first gig I did with God. How how quickly did things come together for recording the Possession album? Uh, let me see. I'll, I'll never forget the week we recorded because it was the same week that Robert Maxwell fell off the back of his boat. <laughs> That's when we recorded the album. So, so yeah, I, if I joined, I've joined in '91. The uh, live album Loco came out that year, and we record. We started the recording. It would have been yeah, November the fifth, nineteen ninety-one, and that was at uh, Richmond College, I think it was, or university. And somehow, Kevin Martin knew somewhere who had the keys to this place or something, and uh, we could just go in, sort of after the college had finished and work through the night. Yeah, it was great. It was good access to instruments for the 
percussionists as well because they had all that kit there you know they had timpanies and all sorts there yeah piano on there there's a bit of harp at some point harp yeah was i'm it? pretty sure there was a harp there was a harp there i think it might if it was there you probably would have used it <laughs> okay. so there's harp on the record somewhere i think so yeah i mean yeah. I, don't, I wouldn't swear to it but <laughs> yeah i mean uh, i didn't notice Oh, nah, there's didgeridoo on there. There's definitely Did, didgeridoo. Yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> didgeridoo on there. I remember that being blown. Yeah. So it was just a kind of a bit of a experimental free free for all. If you got all that stuff, I don't. I, well, there's nothing on that record that we made up in the studio structurally wise. It's I think everything where we went in there would would rehearse. The rehearsals would kind of wouldn't be the full band if you know what I mean. You'd get the drummers, two basses. Uh, Kevin Martin definitely, often Tim Hodgkinson. It's Justin on that. Justin played on that record, yeah. Yeah. How how did you form a song? What uh, like how how did it work? God stuff. Seven times out of ten, Kevin Martin would say I've got this idea for a rhythm, and it would come from a rhythm. A lot of the times we'd just be playing together and doing stuff out the air, really, jamming basically, but with the emphasis on not jamming as well so the uh, last thing we wanted was kind of progressions in what we're doing first which kind of rock sort of sense it was more about sort of building intensity and bringing in different textures yeah it's kind of a but from my point of view no it's just hammering nails <laughs> but yeah yeah i mean we, we'd never have the whole we wouldn't wouldn't i don't think there's ever a god rehearsal where we had the whole setup there unless we can't kind of go on tour the next day or something the recording uh, it would be like a very very stripped down affair. I think Justin did a couple of rehearsals, but I'd be going down there sort of every weekend. Did he move to London or were you always? No, oh, oh, no. Oh, there's, uh, still London. It terrifies me. It's just a side. Okay, but it does. Man. <laughs> and it's just too fast. It's true. It doesn't suit me at all. And uh, the thing about London. If you're in London, you're in there as a musician. Everyone you know is a musician. I mean, yeah. just everyone. Whereas here in Birmingham, most of the people I know have got nothing to do with music. Most of my friends have got nothing to do with music. So, yeah. yeah, I feel like it's kind of less ghettoized and uh, yeah, I think it becomes less of a less of a chore that way. I think it's mm-hmm. you can sort of go to and uh, to be in that place and not really have that deal with it all the time. Yeah. So, what by way of gigs or like touring and stuff did he do in that group? It's, it seems like, I mean, I've got a memory of doing quite a lot of gigs considering the size of the band. I mean, I think we had sort of maybe five European trips. Uh, we didn't play an awful lot in England. I think it's just hard to get booked with a band that size, you know. So we did sort of like a, we did London quite a bit. We got some, did decent support slots in London as well. Birmingham, I think we played once. Newcastle, I think we I think I'd played Newcastle, but I wasn't in the band at the time. The head of David on the same day. Head of David God and God Fletcher the Riverside. Oh, would have been too young. Oh, man. You were just, <laughs> you were just an egg back then, eh? Oh, well, I think I'd mentioned... No, I'm just I think I'd, I think I'd mentioned it was... Oh, this. Well, this, is, this sort of ties in because how I heard God, I would have been, I guess, 13. Uh-huh. So it would just... After the album had come out, it was in the oh, local wow. library. Of course, like, yeah, you said possession, it library, yeah, yeah. possession was in the CD library. And uh, I didn't read it. I was just like, oh, that's, that's, that's cool, you know. And, uh-huh. you know, that's it's wild, it, <laughs> Yeah, and I got it and I was just like, what? You know, this is the 
completely different thing because in terms of like uh, industrial, that's what it should be about, not what it was in the 90s, which was kind of nine-inch nails and like ministry blowing up and then it becoming like Marilyn Manson and sort of goth music, really. Oh, right, yeah. Well, well, I mean, I've, I've definitely got a lot of goth in me, I must admit. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Susan the Banshees. Oh, but the, this is like 90s goth kind of thing. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't so much of a goth then, I didn't go into Well, it, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah I, I suppose by the, ni- by the time the 90s had come, I wasn't aware of a lot of that industrial stuff. I'd really got into hip-hop at that point. Yeah. And uh, I from about 91 to 97, I was God, I probably didn't hear a lot of rock music, you know. Yeah, not, uh, not a lot in the way of in, in industrial goth, I must say, like, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. no it, it was just the kind of avant-garde thing and the fact... Right, oh, I, I see what it, you mean, yeah, it yeah. Getting on a, you know, that kind of, like, line-up and stuff and it getting on a Virgin Records as well, which is... Yeah, that that was pretty crazy. I was still... The, I mean, that, yeah. the, second, the second Ice album was on Warner's, basically. Right, bizarre or straight records, which is a subsidiary of Warner's, and yeah, that blows my mind to think that record. Because you've got like the kind of less well, ice and uh, techno animal and stuff as well, mm, isn't it? Yeah, they're kind of on substantially like larger record labels, but the stuff is like way more kind of <laughs> out there. <laughs> oh no, I, I can't get me head around it to be honest. Yeah, um, but, uh, that's uh, Kevin's gift, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is a hustle, like definitely, like what he managed. It is, to. It is, a, it is a great hustler, it really is. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and he's and he's not an asshole either. So you know, yeah, no. he's, he's doing it for all the right reasons. Yeah, <clears throat> how is um ice? Is, there's a lot of crossover between ice and God as well, isn't there? But what's um, this sort of pretty much? Yeah, I think what what happened around sort of early nineties. I mean, yeah. I've, I've, I think I explained to you before how, how Kevin was kind of managing everything. You've got a 13 piece band. And you take a band like that on tour, you know, stop off at a petrol station, open the door, Everyone's and everything's missing. And it's just a zing! 13, <laughs> di- 13 vectors go flying off, like, you know. Yeah. And yeah, I think things like that, I think they got a bit wearing and, and just, just, you know, just the, the uphill push of it all. And the, it was getting expensive to get the band around. So, uh, yeah, Kevin. I'd been sort of thinking about sort of is we were listening to a lot of dub in that time as well. I mean, everyone was really, and yeah, it's part of that really. Um, we had, it's like God, yeah, some of the ideas of God, the basic idea of God, but stripped down and done, yeah, in a more sort of dub fashion. Although I, I hesitate to call it dub, it's kind of yeah, it's psychedelic, not most not God, but a little bit more sort of what became known as isolationist, I suppose, yeah. Because that's the Virgin record compilation as well. Yeah, it? which yeah. Kevin put together, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did a, he did a few comps for them, they're all excellent. Macro dub infection, isolationism. And then uh, then there's, like, Kevin and and Justin do Techno Animal as well, don't they? Yeah, yeah. They got that together really early, I think, that. First, I remember when they recorded in the first album in 1990. I was actually meant to go and do something on it, but uh, <laughs> I ended up doing something else. I think I went to some kind of jazz festival with my girlfriend at the time. But yeah, okay, yeah. But I ended up playing on this re-entry on one track. So that's that's nice. Really love that album as well. 
So was there any like briefers towards what you would be doing on that? On on re-entry there was, yeah. I I just happened to be at Justin's at the time when they were sort of recording it. And uh, Kev was worried about <laughs> something that he'd sampled and, and it's like, well, we could just put a, a, a bass line that's a bit like that in there, no worries. I'm, and uh, I was there and he said, hey, can we do this a bass line? Yeah, sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> Is this also how um, the sort of formation of ideas for the bug as well at that time? The first thing we did with the bug was um, tapping the conversation, which is kind of like a... Yeah, I don't know how it came to be the bug. I think it was something to do with the um, what we were allowed to do on the ICE contract because at that point we were sort of like uh, contracted to them and it was kind of exclusive, so we couldn't just go and do something else. So we had to sort of, even had to come up with a new name, do it as a producer. We also did a an EP for 1617, which is like a remix. They'd done the recording and then Kev had done a remix and I played bass on it. And that was kind of like a bug production as well as a remix. And from that, I think Kev got the idea that, well, you know, I can do this stuff myself now. I don't know. And he, by that time, he got his studio set up. So he didn't re- really didn't have to rely on people so much anymore. And I think that really, you know, felt great. A rush of freedom from that. Fair play, like you know. But yeah, that uh, tapping the conversation. That was a lot of fun to do. That's the first time sort of I've been in a someone's home studio where you're not working against the clock. Yeah. And they, they had all this like, you know, mad, I think he had something like a, fil- a Sherman filter bank, so it's putting the bass through all these like, you know, really wacky effects. Yeah, it's absolutely, you know, real delight to do that. I only did one more thing with him on the bug, apart from a bit of help with artwork. But by that point, you know, his, his set, he's got his sound, he's got his whole setup. Like free to do whatever he wanted. Then. But we did a, a 12 inch for, I don't know what it's called, to be honest, Lowrider, I think. Yeah, very different from what the bug turned into. It's kind of sounded slightly 80s ish kind of Cabaret Voltaire sort of feel to it, I think. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I know about the bug starting off. It kind of, yeah, it's organically rolled into being, really. I don't think he had sort of a plan, this is what I'm going to do. It's that one soundtrack record having to change his name for it. And then, uh, yeah, went on to do all that great stuff he's done since then. After the kind of uh, end of the 90s and stuff, mm. you've, you're have not really as, as active. No, I no, guess well, I guess because it probably takes, you know, you've done you've spent like 10, 15 years or whatever kind of just well, I think sort of like experimental. God, yeah, God had, come to an, yeah, God had come to an end. I always had pretty much come to an end as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I was kind of, I was thinking, ah, that, that's it for now. I think, you know, it's at least a few years out, and uh, ended up join, joining that band, Courtesy Group in Birmingham, and uh, well, that's, that's always been great fun. And uh, I think, what happened next? It's your, it's your transitional stuff. Maybe, oh, is no, the... I'll tell you what happened. Um, <clears throat> was yeah. this your, your introduction to sort of home? No, 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 I've never, I've never, I've never done anything at home. No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I need to. Well, I mean, get I'm some other fucker to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Just but I ran, ran into um, Carl Blake. Do you know Carl Blake from Shock Eddie Peters? Uh, no. Oh, right. There were, there were a bunch you'd check out from the 80s and 90s because they were they're sort of along with Head of David. They're sort of, uh, they still had that real love for things like Black Sabbath and, and riffs. Okay. But yeah, I hooked up with Carl. We did we did give Lydia lunch 
Um, that was that was a proper lot of fun. That was really enjoyed that. Uh, transitional, yeah, I suppose a couple of years after that, about 2005, 2006. Uh, and that, that was down to my space, I think. Uh, I'd moved away from Birmingham because I just had enough of it, to be honest. There's a lot of partying, a lot of socialising. I wasn't doing anything else, so that's probably was sort of relatively quiet for a bit as well. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I moved up to Leeds for two years. Oh, Really had a good time up there, and, I, and that's when I sort of discovered the internet. Really, uh, went on MySpace, and that's how I got in touch with Kevin Lasker. So I was I was actually trying to contact Russell from Terminal Cheesecake on MySpace. I put a notice up saying anyone know where Russ is, and then this guy Kevin Lasker pipes up saying, "Oh, I know Russ," and uh, me and Kevin became friends, started hanging out, and uh, yeah. We just sort of jammed out some ideas, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a good it's a good way of working with Kevin, like I say, because he's he's very technical, he's very organised. I can just play a bass. I'm, I'm totally happy doing that. So I guess coming back to playing and play more actively mm. is um, Grey Machine. Which oh is... right, yeah, yeah, that came out. That came about uh, another thing that happened when I was living in Leeds around the same time as Transitional was starting up. Because uh, Justin got in touch, he, he needed someone to fill in for Dermot who couldn't get into the States. Um, these are issues, but uh, you know, Dermot's a great mate, and you know, it's a horrible way for it to happen. But I went and uh, when they did two tours with Yezu in the States, so that sort of uh, that put me and Justin together again for a bit. So then uh, that's when we came up with the idea for Grey Machine. Uh, that took quite a while to put together, as I remember. And Justin did all these parts, they're all done, but uh, the logistics of getting everyone else involved to do it, working you know, in a schedule, had about 18 months to it, and then final mix as well. But yeah, that was a, that's a, another you know, great time recording with Justin. Uh, very relaxed, go up there. I remember we got really, really drunk the night before and listened to this shitloads of really harsh noise stuff. And then yeah, got up in the morning and I'd say he'd done most of his already. He'd done most of the record as it was, most of that into what was there. But yeah, yeah, that was a real blast doing that. Well, the the noise thing, it is pretty abrasive. Like it's not Oh man, yeah, it's I mean, not I comfortable to listen to for any Not at all. No, I mean I, I couldn't listen to the whole thing. No, no. <laughs> Horrible thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> like going to watch your kid at sports day, like, nah, I couldn't watch him do that all right. <laughs> <laughs> and that, now it's like, yeah, uh, the, the, the 12 inch of the K Man that bought just this end, really, really chuffed with that. And uh, what's the other track on there I really like? Uh, we are all fucking liars or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing I had done was you, like the the collaboration thing with Oxbow, and um, oh the, right, yeah, um, yeah, Supersonic. That's right, yeah. Well, Nico is someone because uh, Kevin Martin put out the first Oxbow record over here on Pathological, so we'd known each other since the late eighties, really. Myself and Nico, at least the very early nineties. Sorry, this is the guitar player. Yeah, Nico Winner. Yeah, yeah. You, well, on the on the Yezu tour in the states. We'd played a couple of dates with Oxbow, like in um, San Francisco and, you know, it's sort of the uh, West Coast. 
So we'd we'd hooked up again. I mean, like I said, we'd both known Nico since the early nineties. I'd never met Eugene before, but uh, I've met him you know, many times since. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, Nico just said, "Well, Oxford, we're doing this loves. You know, it's a stripped down version of Oxford. It's not the full band. How about could you you want to do a song with us? Like you know, me and Justin. We're like, oh yeah, definitely. We went for that. And um, Stephen O'Malley as well. We've done some dates with Son over there, so." Because there's a couple of gigs where we're all together, all three bands are together, we playing dressing rooms. So I think that came out of that. From that, it's, it's very improvised. I think uh, it was the instruction I got from Nico is that it's in A, and that uh, I just start playing when I hold my hand up. It's one of those sort of things. Hammer an A note. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Dave uh, and styling it. Uh, it took me a while to find the A, but once <laughs> I was there. <laughs> Normally, G. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, once once I've found it, it's it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that that's really fun. Yeah, uh, some good pictures from it anyway. Yeah, yeah Eugene and his kicks. Yeah. <laughs> so this puts you in the kind of well, I suppose it's a couple of years, I guess, till you join Terminal Cheesecake, is that? Yeah, that would have been. 2013, and that was through a guy called Will, who was uh, he's put he's putting together a little CD because he's a big supporter of this kind of music, and he's putting this CD together for his I think one of his key birthdays of some of his favourite musicians playing his favourite songs, and, and Will's such a nice guy. So yeah, went and did that, and I, I wasn't very well at the time. I'd, I'd got I'd had a bike crash, and uh, I'd had some lingering infections after it as well mm-hmm. i was on antibiotics a lot and i was on, i've been on antibiotics so long they were starting to affect me in other ways so you know, i could I yeah. find it hard to get about and walk about and then yeah. uh, i just basically had to change my lifestyle you know i couldn't drink mm-hmm. anymore i had to sort of be careful about what i ate and yeah i was kind of recovering around that time and but will sort of kept me going really kept me interested in the music stuff You'd have you'd have like projects like this all the time where you just needed a few bass lines, and I, I didn't really have the energy to sort of get involved with the band. But that was great, and, and Will feels lovely. I'll just come and pick you up, drive you to the studio, you do your bit, and I'll take you home. So it's a way of staying connected through all that illness time. And it's through that that I met Gordon from Cheesecake because he is one of the other guys that Will had brought along to play these songs. You know, we were doing sort of like um. A couple of Killdozer songs. Michael Gerald was involved at some point. Uh, did a couple of Slab songs. I think Steve from Slab was going to do it for a bit, but uh, in the end, he just thought, ah, oh, I don't know. No, I think I'll leave it. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be getting back into all that music stuff. <laughs> and uh, the thread there. So, oh, yeah. So we're doing this, uh, this like, uh, little compilation thing for Will's birthday. And that's how I met Gordon. Uh, I was really impressed with Gordon's guitar. You know, you can play sort of proper punk rock guitar and really, really way out, really experimental. Very strange stuff. Uh, we hit it off immediately. And he was telling, because ma- I was a massive Terminal Cheesecake fan, you see, still am. Right? And uh, even from back then, they were the band for me that I think sort of aged better than most, I think, for the records. So I was, and I was actually on a Mad Cheesecake binge at the time, and he was telling me that him, Russell, and the guys are going to get together again. I was like, oh, that's amazing. I thought, yeah. And uh, at the time, they were going to have um, Mick Park in the original bass player, and I was just really excited about seeing Terminal Cheesecake again. 
And uh, yeah, I didn't hear anything about it for a while. And I think just before Christmas of 2012, one got in touch again and said, uh, oh, you know, we're talking about cheesecake. I said, oh, yeah. It uh, turns out, no, Mick, Mick can't do it. And Fez, uh, the other guy there, the minders, we played on um, the latest sort of cheesecake stuff. Another uh, bloke. He couldn't do it either. So he asked me if I wanted to do it. And I thought, like, yeah, fucking right, man. I was, I was starting to feel a lot better. Walk about and thought this is coming exactly the right time, and yeah, jumped in with that. And it was, yeah, man, it's, it's got to be, yeah, probably the most fun I've had in the band, actually. I think <laughs> it's the most democratic band I've ever been at. I mean, everyone, everyone was kind of like, you know, no one had it was not, no one had a say on like, oh, this goes in or that, this doesn't. It didn't come down to one person, it was, it was very much about just instincts, really. You instinctively feel when it's working. And we all look at each other and we know it and yeah i, I guess you, you've been doing bands a while by well everyone's been doing bands a while by by that point that uh you know yeah just, i mean I, I, the fun of doing doing something you know? yeah and, and I, I like both ways i mean i'm more than happy to just go along and play bass lines in someone's band that's that's fine i, I enjoy playing I, I i used to be really snobby about covers bands but then i played like a covers band for uh one of my mates' birthdays the other year. Oh, I fucking loved it, man. Well, first of all, you know, oh my God, we're playing songs we like, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I, you know, just for the pure love of the music, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be in a band where I don't necessarily have to say what the music or, you know, what the ethos of the band is or anything. I'm yeah. quite happy to do that. But, you know, yeah, the better times are when it's a collaboration, for sure. You, you feel like you're getting more fulfillments out of it more enjoyments out of it and like it's something worth doing i guess yeah i, I can get into the idea that i'm just sort of getting distracted if i'm just playing in someone else's band but i think that's why i think cheesecake is one i have the most fun with and uh yeah i hope to be doing some more stuff at some point yeah um, yeah well well i've just done the, the artwork for a cover of, um some sessions that are getting released from the first lot of sessions we did in 2016 that turned up on, again, turned up on a tape thing. I mean, it's easy why we record the Eternal Cheesecake to forget that we recorded something. <laughs> it, it really is, man. I mean, we're, we're going on to sort of like, we got locked in this studio in the middle of this like rocket testing field, basically. So it's desolate. There's nothing else around. Totally flat. Uh, it's freezing as well. So, you know, because you're so exposed there. So it made more sense to just carry on doing stuff and, you know, obviously carry on drinking <laughs> and, and playing throughout the night. So the guy just basically left the machine running and went home, the guy in the console, and we just carried on. And, and there's, yeah, there's hours and hours of stuff. Uh, yeah, there's, no, there's pretty much an album's worth of it coming out soon. It was all sent on a hard drive, and one of the volumes on the hard drive hadn't, hadn't loaded when it got pushed in to the computer try it on another computer and it came up so there's this yeah. volume that we'd completely forgotten about so uh, I was thinking yeah if we'd have found it to start with that stuff would have been on the album oh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's just a lost album isn't it a lost recording yeah yeah it's it was probably... definitely lost yeah, do that. that was proper lost that was yeah. <laughs> oh well, that's cool I mean uh, if, I don't know if there's any uh, other bands you want to like really uh, no because I, mean... I, I know you've got your Brooks and Maria but that's not really uh Oh, no, well, I'll say a bit about that because, uh, yeah, I won't go into a lot of detail, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the end of, it's about 
the cheesecake too in about 2018 and uh drops my room a band like that bored, you know I go, oh my favorite of the new bands so um yeah i used to go and see them a lot and uh, there's something real something about the energy about it so a lot. And it reminded me of crass in a lot of ways that's what yeah. attracted that to me to that and that they had unfortunately a really nasty uh, car crash in the early early 2018 and um the band kind of sort of yeah fell apart after that because you know we sort of um yeah i think we just weren't getting on really and uh yeah they asked me if i'd join and uh do a tour with them before day tour just fill in to like got a bass player and uh, i ended up sort of playing with them for about yeah a couple of years um it's really really interesting experience for myself in that i'd never really played fast in a long time not since the very early days yeah, because this sounds more like a like a hardcore style band. Yeah, it's very, yeah a lot of hardcore sensibilities in it. I wouldn't say it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of stuff in there when you really sort of listen to it. But um, and it's too noisy and kind of just a bit like really harsh to be a, like a hardcore band. Oh yeah, man. If you, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just yeah, it's that kind of grey area music in it, which is my favourite place, really. And uh, yeah, the drummer Paul Paul Anthony is oh my god, you know just. He's a very young, fit guy, you know what I mean? And very creative, just trying to keep up with him. Yeah, that was, uh, I found it helped my playing immeasurably, really. Just, uh, yeah, it really kept me on my toes. But, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm, not, I'm not with him now, no. But um, yeah, I thought at the moment, it's just pretty much a courtesy group and seeing what's going to happen with Terminal Cheesecake. When, yeah. And again, it's like, you know, we said earlier about like, you know, if, it, if it's my younger days, I'd, I'd definitely be thinking, oh, I've got to keep going, got to keep going, got to keep going. But, I've, you know, right now, I'm just thinking, when I get inspired, really when I get inspired.
what are the live albums called again? One's called the Live Cop. Oh, the the God. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, the the ones it's at the uh, recording of church, isn't it? That's that's loco. I'm thinking that's of the local. second one that's recorded in Switzerland. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. But anyway, whatever that's called. Yes. Nico's on that one. <laughs> that one. You, get to tell, isn't it? you can't remember the name of your own group. Oh, stuff. man. I know. Oh, people, what people got... have been doing that? Hold on. I'll just have to check oh, check me discography on Discogs and that because I don't know what the fuck I did. I've, got, I've even... I saw I've got a copy of it. Yeah, I've got it on. It's called Consumed. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, there you go. One of, one of the three God CDs I've got. <laughs> Four, actually. So, some very kind gentleman uh, bought me the remixes one, which I never had for years. Oh, I, I listened to that one yesterday because it, it was on someone put it on YouTube. Oh right, wow! And I was like, yeah. That appeals to human greed, don't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, yeah Interesting I remix it. choice. No, yeah, I, I really like the Kevin Shields one on that. Yeah, I think he approached it in such a great way because he didn't really add anything. He, he just kind of used what was there and approached it in. What he felt was the same spirit, because, yeah, yeah, and, and like yeah. lumberjacks and, as well. <laughs> the yeah, New Kingdom, they don't <laughs> no, produce spend, anything else, I don't think. But. Oh, I spent some time with them guys in '97 in New York. Oh, no. oh New Kingdom, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Did you? yeah. <laughs> oh, you got a, you know, I've got any stories. It's not oh, massage, isn't it? Oh, Sebastian. yeah, well, what, what I think it's after New Kingdom had finished, and um, there's something called Truck Stop, which yeah. is uh, Sebastian. Yeah, Scotty Hard, stuff, yeah. Scott Harding, and I think someone else. I can't remember who else. But yeah, that's the first time I smoked a blunt. Oh my god! <laughs> Seriously, I, 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 I came away from there thinking I don't know how they get anything done. I was, I was like, fucking back, man. Everything was blue. Like, obviously, I was there with Kevin Martin, who doesn't touch the stuff at all. He's taking great delight in my misery. Like, <laughs> like, I'm trying to keep up with these guys, and it's like, <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah. We did one gig. We did one gig over there. It was the bug in '97. Yeah. yeah, 